Welcome to HeartSpeak Podcast, episode 281, Spiritual Transformation, Dissolving to Evolve. Welcome to the HeartSpeak Podcast, where valuable insights are shared that bypass the mind and resonate with the heart. Listen, open your heart, become inspired, find the joy and fulfillment that awaits when you follow your heart. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christine Page. Well, hello there, wherever you are in the world. It's good to be back with you. And I hope you're enjoying this very active time in February with all these different planets meeting up with Pluto. And thank you, Veronica, for asking me to perhaps do a podcast on spiritual transformation. And here it is. It's a very big subject. And what I'm really just going to do is to show some highlights of different ways in which different cultures over thousands of years have looked at spiritual transformation and how that can affect us now. What do we need to learn from them? So first of all, we have to say, well, what is spiritual transformation? Great word. (laughs) So transformation is definitely what we're all going through. But remembering, I always have to say that transformation is connected to two different facets. One is dying. The next is birth. So transformation comes through entering the cauldron, the the wonderful boiling cauldron of Macbeth, allowing something to die away and giving birth to something new. And I would say you could symbolize it through that out breath that I often talk about, breathing out, expiring, dying to the old, and then birthing the new. And I will tell you that the letting go is much tougher than the breathing in, as you may know yourself. But we have symbols of that everywhere in the world. Some of us are living in the winter at the moment, others are in the summer, but there's the seasonal cycles that we experience here on earth are teaching us always about this. Sometimes there's a time of growth, sometimes there's a time of dying away, sometimes there's a time of going into the darkness. And this idea of a trinity rather than just two phases, growth and death, is really important because in that moment of darkness, which I often relate to the three days around the new moon, we call them the three dark moon days, or you could see it as a time around the solstice, the winter solstice especially, when we just have three days of the sun being still, Those moments of stillness or settling into the gap, whatever words you want, are really important. We would say it's almost the stop at the end of a sentence or the gap at the end of a breath were out. And we just hold our breath out before starting again. So there are many different ways that we are being impacted by this transformational word that is part of spiritual transformation. I think sometimes we get caught up in the spiritual bit and we go, wow, yes, I'll be spiritual. But we kind of skip over the transformation word. Whereas this is the real word that tells us the action and what do we need to do to be spiritual. And so this idea of following seasons, following the moon, following our own breath, following our own day and night are really important to us. Recognizing, as I say, it's a trinity. There's three phases, not just two. And that's why the feminine, 
the three faces of the great mother, the virgin mother crone, have always been seen as the feminine being present at times of transformation. So we hear about, yes, the feminine is returning. This is important at this time. Well, that really tells us, wow, we're in a point of transformation if the feminine is returning. And this has been true in you know, over thousands of years. You've seen this rise of the feminine at times of tremendous civilizations changing, sometimes dying away. But this return of the feminine at these moments is really telling us, wow, we're in for a big transition. And the virgin part, just to say, is the, the growth part, and it connects for women to their estrogen or their estrogen cycle. The mother part is the progesterone part of the cycle. And then the crone part, the part that is really the most powerful in that process of death and rebirth, is connected to the time of a woman's moon time or period. So these are very in, in, inherent in all of us, especially if we're women, but you don't have to be a woman to follow these cycles. But it's really helpful when we do. And when we're out of touch, when we're trying to, let's say, create something new at a time when the moon is waning, we're going to have problems. So the best time is between the new moon and the full moon, which is where we are at this present time. So it's really recognizing, we often talk about these cycles inside ourselves, but when we can get in rhythm with ourselves, in rhythm with our body, in rhythm with the cycles, we have a much easier life. Okay, so then we look at what does it mean to be spiritual? And I have difficulties with that word because it's often related to, well, this person meditates a lot, which I'm very happy for, but it doesn't necessarily, in my mind, allow them to experience themselves, as I would say, as a more conscious being. So I relate back to a friend of mine who was a medium who said after many years of working as a medium, he sees people coming in on one level of consciousness and going out at exactly the same level of consciousness. And why does he say that? Because the word consciousness comes from skire, which is to know. And the question is, do you know yourself? Of course, this was above the Apollo's temple in Delphi in Greece. No man know thyself. Didn't necessarily have a gender attached to it, just know thyself. So what we're really saying is that spiritual transformation, spiritual growth comes from the ability to know ourselves. And how do we know ourselves? How do we become more conscious of ourselves? We become more conscious by not only being creative, expressing something into the world, and that's where we often stop. It's like, oh, wow, look what I've done. The other part of the cycle, I'd say that progesterone cycle, that, that waning moon is, and how by doing that do you know yourself more fully? Now, we could say, how did you grow through that? How did you nurture your soul? What did you learn? <laughs> and this, again, means that we have to become conscious of our creations. In other words, I can't just say, well, that happened. I don't know why it happened. It's just fate. And I, well, obviously, I was a bad person, whatever. No, start with the premise that you, as an amazing human being, spiritual human being, chose the path that you are on at this moment in this life and the events that you would have to know yourself more fully. 
And I know this isn't what we all want to do. We just want to we talk about all our successes or talk about all our failures. None of that matters. What matters is, and how did you know yourself more fully because of this? That is what is going to build your Jed pillar. This is the pillar. We call it the Kundalini, but the Kundalini is the energy. But the Jed, the D-J-E-D, uh, from the Egyptian understanding, some of you may have seen a Jed pillar in, in Egypt, is the same as the building of the Jedi Knight. That's where they received that information from for Star Wars. So we're building a Jed pillar. So every time we bring back the wisdom, the light from our experiences, our pillar of light is becoming stronger. And hey, in the end, we become enlightened. All right, so all the time we are enlightening ourselves. Now, I just want to say that I don't think actually you're ever fully enlightened because the universe is constantly creating itself and changing and expanding. So I think it's a constant enlightening experience. <laughs> but what we're doing is bringing light back to ourselves. We are feeding our soul, our body, our DNA with wisdom. And every time we gain wisdom, and wisdom is knowledge in experience or experience knowledge. We build our light. And some of you may know that we have a light body inside us. And that light body emanates this physical form that I call my physical body. And that physical body you could see as a space suit, if you want, or a skin suit that is perfectly designed to have an experience here on Earth. Stay with me. This is really way out there, but also I hope very interesting for you. So our physical form is perfect for our experiences. Even if you might say, well, I came in with some genetic problems, or I have this, perfect for what you came here to do. And it was created by the etheric body that lives underneath the physical body, I might say, and is the blueprint for your physical form. So your soul said, okay, what does Christine need as a perfect form for her existence, this life. And this is what I ended up with. And you might look at yourself in the mirror and say, wow, I'm a really strange shape and whatever. But everybody, every body's, your physical body is in perfect harmony with what is known as the golden mean, the golden ratio, the 1.168, 6, sorry, 1.618 yeah, um, ratio. So you're looking at the fact that everything is in a ratio of what we call phi, P-H-I, and that phi ratio is expressed throughout my body. Um, in other words, my belly down to my, my umbilicus <laughs> down to my feet is 1.618 longer than my navel up to the top of my head. Everybody's in perfect proportions. And why is this important? Because phi, P-H-I, is actually phi, is actually the creative energy. The pineal gland is also shaped like a pine cone that also expresses this golden mean. So as we build our jed pillar, we are firing up our little pineal gland to be able to experience more and more of who we are. So we always only experience that which we're able to cope with. 
I'm giving you different ways in which the ancient people have always understood spiritual transformation. And you can hear it's maybe much deeper than you thought. It isn't about where, how many books I've read or how often I meditate or which courses I've gone to. None of that in many ways makes any difference. What, you know, it's all essential. It's an outward expression of yourself. But the ultimate is, and how did I grow because I went on that course? How, what did I learn about myself because I read that book? How did I expand my light because of that experience? And again, you might say, well, I helped other people. Okay, that's great. And how did that come to help you know yourself more fully? That's why I often talk about a, a, we are a flower with many petals and our souls in the middle, and each of those petals needs to be opened in order to experience enlightenment. So doing the same thing within one petal where you're not growing and you're not nurturing yourself and nothing's changing because you just know how to do this really well and you've got all the PhDs in it, you've stopped growing. So when you stop growing in a petal, move on, go to another petal. And that's why my friend said people just come in on one level of knowing about themselves and go out at the same level and you might say no i've been and i've done this and I, yeah but nothing's changed inside you that self-reflection is an essential part of spiritual transformation and then we are as i said building our enlightenment now again oh i want to be enlightened i want to have that halo around my head that i see in some of the images of past masters etc that's that light coming up. But the fact of the matter is that that enlightenment is, is actually building our light body. Now, if you were brought up with a Christian understanding of the three days of Jesus's or Yeshua's death, he died on the cross. He went into the underworld, which was the tomb or the womb, the cave. And then he came out the other side in his light body. And he said to, I think, Mary Magdalene, don't touch me because I'm in my light body. And you might say, well, what's the light body? Well, this is that fifth dimension and beyond. Okay, I want to go to the fifth dimension. They all tell me I'm ascending to the fifth dimension. Well, you're already there. Part of you is already there. And let's say I'm going to give a figure. 90% of you is living in that fifth dimension and beyond as your higher self, your oversoul, your connection to source, whatever. You're not living in one dimension. And the more you open up, the more you build your ladder, the more dimensions you'll reach. You know, there, and there are lots of dimensions. Don't get lost in the fifth. Or even number, oh, I'm in connection to the galactic one or the universal. It, you know, there are lots of dimensions. And the way of looking at dimensions is really saying there are lots of different countries in the world. And within those countries are different states or counties or whatever, and they're called densities. So there's lots of frequencies, different frequencies within one country. And then lots of different countries. So it's just really, it's like, wow, I, I can change my frequency. And again, I don't want to say raise, but I can change my frequency to experience myself in other countries or other parts of my country, etc. Don't get hooked too much into this whole idea of I'm at a higher frequency than you are, because that's part of the game. This idea of hierarchical existence, I'm a better person, I'm higher, I'm more elite, is really where we're still locked into a very 
third and fourth dimensional thinking. That's part of the, the trap that we're in. So really to say is we need, if we're going to be on this earth, this particular earth, we need, we're living in a three-dimensional, four-dimensional body, mind. On a fifth-dimensional being, we actually can't live in this three-dimensional being, in this body. So we'd have to change my space suit to a different frequency, and then I can live in a fifth-dimensional world in a fifth-dimensional body. So changing our frequency, and I will say raising it, making it more refined, allows us to experience the world, Gaia, in a completely different way that many times we call her on a third dimensional. So it's again, okay, yes, I might know, um, I might know the frequency of where I live in this city, but if I travel to another state or another county, then I experience a different frequency. Again, it doesn't make one right and one wrong. But every time we change our frequency, we, we gain access to other other places. And again, I use it with other towns, other cities, other, other countries. And so it's really about freeing ourselves from where we think this is it. And so when we say the world's in a terrible place or nothing's happening, that's when we're, we're really seeing it through these very, I'll say, lower astral mindset. But when we maybe pull, allow ourselves to be free of that for a moment, and you might have had those experiences, you see a, a sunrise or you see a rainbow, you see something and you're going, in this world, there is only this amazing rainbow. There may be other things happening. And it doesn't mean you're saying, oh, I'm in denial about the wars and the suffering. It's just that in this moment, I'm existing in another frequency. And what I'm really telling myself is, there isn't just one. I can actually make a choice as to which one I prefer. And it doesn't deny the others. It's just saying, that's great, but it's not mine. And again, I'm not looking necessarily at wars, but you may have come up against this with family and friends. I'm really happy that you're doing what you're doing. It's just not my way. And that's this Aquarian energy, Pluto in Aquarius. Love what you're doing. Have a great time discernment, I'm going to go in another frequency. And that's what's happening to us all at the moment. So looking at this spiritual transformation, I'm going to go to those next words that say dissolve to evolve. So if 90% of us is living in fifth dimension and higher, and we've got 10% who is having this experience, and why, we, why do we bother? It's because at this moment, our soul needs a physical body, an alchemical body like we have, and an alchemical earth in order to evolve. And I understand the Syrians, those from Sirius and those from the Pallades, also have a humanoid-like body, which is an alchemical vessel, which is the perfect vessel for transformation. So when we see humanoid ETs, you're really telling yourself, ah, you also need this particular form in order to evolve. But there are many other species that don't need to be in this particular form to evolve. And evolving is not negative. It's just 
it's literally part of the creative cycles of the universe. So it's just like, oh, I'll go there, I'll go there. So there are other forms that don't need to do that. Hope that makes sense, other species. But at this moment, this is what my soul is experiencing, is being in this body is the perfect vessel for my, for my evolvement and transformation. So those who tell us, oh my God, my physical body is such a bore, or the physical world being in the... No, this is perfect. Lucky you. <laughs> and what we know is that once you're not in a physical body, it's really tough to, to know yourself, to evolve. So we're understanding that the spirit world who have passed over, your friends, your family might be saying, come on, you can do it. Don't come out your physical body yet. This is the place you want to be. Yippee, lucky you. <laughs> I wish I had a body. I'm nobody. <laughs> anyway, you get my meaning. I just wanted to bring that to the fore. So how do we do this? And one part I want to just talk about is the three levels of healing or the three aspects of healing that are essential to our transformation and which rise above cultural mythologies a sound, light, and geometry, vibration. I mean, you could say they're all forms of vibration, sound, light, and geometry. And so when I go traveling the world and I go to different sites, you will see, I mean, I'm thinking of Egypt where so many different uh, civilizations came in and built their own temples or built their own whatever it was at that time, all on the same place. But in essential energy was never changed. Sometimes it did get a little distorted, like when they moved a temple off a place where it was because they'd built a dam and they put it somewhere else and they say, wow, look, it's still got the energy. No, it hasn't. Because the energy, the vibration isn't coming from the building, it's coming from the earth. And it's coming from the relationship with the earth energies, the dragon energies, the ley lines, and its connection to the sun energy we could say magnetic and electrical coming together and beyond the sun, the galaxy, the universe. So the cosmic energy meeting the earth energy creates this amazing place of transformation. We call them power places, sacred places, nodal points. So what their ancient people did was then build their temples on top of all these power places, but the power place was always there. The power point was always there. And in some ways, it dictated what would be built there. So they're not all the same, as I've found. Across the world, you'll have places that may be where trees grow, or maybe they did build a building, or maybe it had natural rocks in it. So it doesn't have to be something that was built. It can be something that was natural that just happened to grow really well in this place. And any of you interested in this may go and look at my Earth Mysteries videos on YouTube because this is really what I'm talking about is these sacred places weren't all the same. And when we can actually embody that place or go into that place, which I've tried to help you to do through my videos, you'll feel like, wow, no, this is different from somewhere else. So some of the places were designed for letting go, especially when you had water around, wells. Water is a great dissolver of energy. Others were for growth, where there were trees, perhaps. So every sacred site was built, if I may say built or planted on top of what was already there as a specific frequency 
that had a specific purpose. Sometimes, as I said, it was for growth. Sometimes it was nurturing you. Oh, I feel so loved in this place. Sometimes it was to die, you know, let go, to dissolve. So what we now understand is, let's say, sound vibration. And I talk about this in my Fascinating Mysteries Part 2, how many places were built in, with using specific stones on specific sites with specific designs to be able to magnify a specific sound that would have effect on us. It wasn't saying this was a better sound than this sound. Each sound would be very specific. And we have a range. We, of course, we, we can say A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, G. It's, it, there are these different sounds that are there. But what we understand, there's a bigger scale, um, a scale that probably has about 24 notes in it. And within those notes, they have different frequencies that allowed us to develop ourselves in various ways. So if you were, and I'm not going to be too specific here, but as I said, with places like the Kennet Long Barrow or the sarcophagus or other places that note that frequency of 110 hertz from a very deep voice would allow you to have an expanded consciousness. Whereas 432 hertz is very good for your heart. Whereas 528 is for your healing. Again, I might not be totally specific, but you understand that there are different notes for different reasons. And you may feel that you go to a place and you feel, wow, that's really lighting up my base chakra, where another place may light up your top of your head. And also someone sounding. Sometimes someone's deep voice will sound and bring a light some part of me, where someone's high voice would do something else. And this is why people are so interested in Tibetan bowls, because they have the whole range, or crystal bowls, or tuning forks. It isn't one sound that's going to affect you, but you'll certainly feel the effect of different uh, hertz, different frequencies on your body, and you'll know what you need. And at the same time, color does the same thing. So different colors, different shades of colors wake us up. So being aware of just the power of color to heal. And this was all understood by the ancient people. So as I said, they built their different uh, caverns, caves, tombs, wombs, with a different idea about this is the tone we want to experience. And, and I won't go into how they did that often. It, you know, it was by the stone they used or this type of design. It, it's so extraordinary. But I was listening to Robert Grant, Robert Edward Grant, and he talked about how the different slopes of the three pyramids in the Giza Plateau, when he looked at the slopes and he thought, why are they not all the same slope? He found that these matched up to these frequencies I've been talking about. And then you look at how the Great Pyramid is seen to have the exact proportions that are in ratio to the radius of the Earth or the distance of the Earth from the Sun. Or, I mean, if you want to look more deeply into that, go into Graham Hancock's work. But extraordinary precision. And you have to ask, well, how on Earth did these people, whether it was 5,000 years ago or much further back, know what the radius of the Earth was? or know the distance from the Earth to the Sun, or to the, the, the radius of the Moon. How do they know all of this? 
And that you will see that in all sites around the world, they have these figures like 108 is often a figure or 72. And 72 is the number of years it takes for the uh, Earth to pass through one degree of the precession of the equinoxes that takes 26,000 years. How do they know? 72 appears in so many different ways. Of course, 144, you can go on forever. So understanding that you might say, well, these are just numbers. I'm not a mathematician. No, they have a vibration. And the vibration of color, the vibration of infrared, the, which is healing of our body, the vibration of ultraviolet that wakes us up, the vibration of sound is obvious, but it's not the sounds you hear with your ears. It's just the vibration that impacts you. So you might say, oh, I can't hear anything. No, but our hearing is very limited, as is our vision. But the rest of us is feeling the vibrations. And then we get into shape, as I'm already talking about, the pyramid, but the hexagon, which is the balance between the masculine and feminine, the most uh, the safest or the most stable structure, therefore found in beehives. We see the pentagon, the pentagon, which is that number of magic, those five different sides representing the movement into a magical world. There is no shape that doesn't impact us. And many of the great temples, such as Angkor Wat or the pyramids or other places I've visited, Palenque, are built as a mandala. And a mandala, you may know, is something that is often geometrically symmetrical, but doesn't have to be. But these mandalas are ways in which our consciousness is changed because of the shape. So you, you might go to somewhere that's very sacred and you go, wow, this is really lovely. But you're walking the path of initiation. You're being advised of how to do this, even though you don't know. So looking at a mandala or looking at a sunflower, looking at something that's beautiful, you don't know why, but it's, it's raising your frequency. It's changing your frequency. And the reason is that sound and vibration and color and geometry are all symbolic. They're archetypical symbols, as Jung would say. So they enter in through our right brain, not our left brain. So they bypass the left brain. So the right brain being more your more intuitive self, your more feminine self, is really saying, I don't know why I like this, but I do. So all the time we're being impacted by these symbols, these sounds, these colors in your backyard, in your garden, color of the birds. But we are only seeing such a small part of what they're actually showing. What we understand is that most birds can see the ultraviolet feathers of other birds. We don't, we see them as a brown bird or a black bird or whatever, but they are giving off colors that our eyes can't see, but our intuition, our psychic abilities are picking up on our vibrational body. And this is what's fascinating me. It's my research at the moment is what part of me is knowing this? How does that relate to my understanding of a, an aura or a sensitivity or my, my resonance, my psychic abilities? So these are the things that we need to become aware of. And of course, what I'm saying is when you resonate with something, I don't know why, I just love going back to that temple or I love visiting that place or that rock means something to me or that tree or I love listening to that music. And then later on, you know, a few years on, you'll say, oh, I don't like that music. Why on earth did I like it? I remember getting caught up in a piece of poetry and I felt everybody should hear this poetry because it was so amazing. Now I read it and it's like, oh, it doesn't really mean anything. 
So each of us at different times in our life are awakened by somebody's story, something that we're reading, something we're hearing, and that takes us to that next level. And being aware of following that which lights you up, finds your passion is really important to your spiritual transformation. My last thing I want to say is, is this dissolving. So as I mentioned at another time, we live in, or many people talk about us living in a simulated world, in a bubble, a matrix. And I want to say, once again, there are many matrices. It's not just one. But the matrix is describing the nest, the, the pattern in which you are born into. But as I found out with the Egyptians and I talked about with Bridge last time or a couple of times back, they were both had the ability, the, the, these netters, this understanding of the teachings of Bridge were to teach us how to escape the net. And the net is really just this bubble or this world in which we believe here's the rules, this is how we have to live, this is the way the world is. And so it also ties into what our personality is really fixated on. <laughs> I've got to make money, I've got to have a house, I've got to have children, I've got to take care of this. I need to. So, whatever it is that our personality is creating in the world, so here I am, I'm creating this book. We're also living in a world where, and I'll say this particular bubble, where there are rules and this is how you're going to succeed, or this is what your purpose is. And those rules are the patterning of this holographic world we're living in that doesn't serve us because it often creates a stagnation, a net, uh, a sense of we can't escape, there's no freedom. But we don't know it. We just keep doing the same thing, thinking we'll get a different result. So many of the traditions talked about how to escape the net, how to step away from the illusion that our our very reasoning for being here is to fulfill our spiritual destiny, climb the ladder, walk the path. And breaking out of that brings us back into the here and now first. So we say, okay, everything is existing now rather than I'm driven by my past or my fear of future. And that we recognize, yes, my, my purpose was to do this but it wasn't only that, it was to find myself through my purpose. So when we get lost in, you know, this is what I came here to do. No, you didn't come here to do. You created that holographic reality in order to know yourself. I hope that makes sense. So many traditions, as you know, you know, gave up everything so that many, you know, I became a nomad. I had no money. I had no food. <laughs> Uh, this is how I escape this external world or the addiction to the external world, the illusion of the external world. And they said, okay, I'm just going to give up everything. And if you follow anything of Buddha, Buddha said, well, he, he came from a very well-off family and then he became poverty stricken and everybody had to feed him. But then he found the middle way and now I'm back to my trinity. And he said, there's a middle way. It's not about having everything, nor is it having nothing. It's not being attached to any of it. So you can do it. You can learn from it. You can embody it. You can have the experience of it, but it's not you. Because being in the poverty state is another you having nothing. I am this person who has nothing. Well, now you're making a statement again about who you are. So it's very interesting how we are being identified at the moment. I'm a 
you know, whether it's your color, gender, culture, whatever, man, woman, we're being forced to say who we are when actually that's all that's doing is cementing ourselves in external and physical identities that take us away from our trueness. Now, again, it's not like saying, I am nothing, I am nobody. No, you are. You, I am expressing myself through this personality, this petal called Christine, but it's not who I am. So you've got to do both. And I know that's a bit tricky, but it's like not getting attached to either. Even if I said, I'm a very spiritual person. Oh, now we've got another identity. I believe in this. Oh, another identity. So our beliefs are all the identities. What I want to say is I'm expressing myself in this way at this time, but it is not who I am. And that's the trick. So that if you look at the Egyptians and others, they also had this, how do we dissolve ourselves to evolve? And many a time they would take us back to our elemental selves. And this is one way I would say to do it is, I am used, I, again, I am the light that has brought all these elements together to experience myself as this personality called Christine. So experiencing yourself through the forces of nature, as I learned so much with the netters and bridge, it's not, it's really saying my wind is doing this today, my air is doing this, my water is doing this. That might sound strange, but it's literally when you recognize it's a combination of things coming together, but they also can dissolve back into the light is really the power. And I think that's what I've discovered. The elementals you might call them fairies are trying to teach us. They know how to move from light into form, but also from form back to light. And that to me is what Yeshua Jesus did on his three days, what they're all teaching us to do. Yes, become something, but also know that you can dissolve it back in a very free way. That escapes the net. And I, I just want to finish with the last piece that there was a, a symbol called the Tau, T A U. And it looks like the Ankh in Egyptian, if you know anything about, called the Key of Life. And it was often seen as like, oh, this is just Egyptian. But we found this in Mesoamerica. We found it here in, in New Mexico. Chaco Canyon has this either T or a T with a circle on top of it. And it was described as that circle is the spiritual world and the T was our physical world. And when they come together, we have enlightenment. And if you think of the T itself, it is made up of this vertical jed, the jed, jed lider, and then a line. And that line is the pituitary gland or the third eye. So when that vertical energy meets this third eye, and they come together, we have enlightenment through the crown chakra. It was teaching us that. And that circle is recognizing that there is no vertical and horizontal, it's eternity. So all of these traditions, whether they were in, as I say, the Americas, whether they were in Egypt, you know, miles apart from each other, all understood that it's not about trying to escape this life in order to be dead. It's actually their fixation was in how do I live as a light being? How do I live as a spiritual being? Maybe I'll put that word in. What is the key to life, not to death? They weren't interested in how to die. They were saying when we die to our old self, when we die to our attachments, we experience full life. 
we become this fully evolved human being. Not, it's not about leaving this, this world. It's becoming living on this, whatever we call it, this living in the, on this life, fully conscious. And that's what ascension is. It's not about leaving. It's about dying to what you thought it was in order to experience everything. So I have covered a lot of ground there. I hope that's helped in understanding why we're here. It's very complex. And one of those levels, and I just need to do mention this, is that in the center of every evolutionary path is the path of the riddles, the illusion, the breaking the illusion. And that illusion is often to trick us to say, do you really believe who you are? Do you really know who you are? Are you still caught up in the glamour of spirituality? And I had a lovely messenger, Inca Mekansinger, called Willaru, who used to say that one of the parts of it was to bring all that wisdom up through your jed ladder. But just as you got up here, you went, look, I did it! That your ego talking, and you fell right down to the bottom again. And every time I'm recognizing that there are so many tricks or illusions, I've seen it in temples where everybody's driven to, to climb up the stairs to the top of the temple because that's where you want to be. But actually the magic happens halfway along where if you step off those stairs, there's another place where the magic is really powerful. So being aware that many a time it is our spiritual ego, as, as Alice Bailey used to say, or our sense of glamour, look how far I've come, is showing us how far we still have to go. So there is a part of humility, but it's not humility to the point of losing yourself. It's saying, I am not attached to anything and I am everything. And that's how I see you all. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the HeartSpeak Podcast with Dr. Christine Page. Please check out all HeartSpeak episodes in the podcast archive section on www.christinepage.com. HeartSpeak is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Tumblr, and now playing on Amazon Music and iHeartRadio. You can also watch the archive podcast on Christine's channel, YouTube, and now on Rumble. Connect with Christine on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook group, The Great Mother Calling. Do share with family, friends, colleagues. Join us next time for another edition of Heartspeed.